We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to the Saints Hour. Mike Haas, along with Saints Executive Vice President and General Manager Mickey Loomis. The Saints go to Cleveland, get a huge victory, 17-10, in what was the coldest game in Saints history, in the second or third coldest game in Cleveland history, but it's, a, it's kind of at least misleading to me because they usually just use temperatures and they don't use the feels like temperature. And for those guys on the field, they care about the feels like temperature. And that was, you know, minus zero the whole game. That was a very, as Dennis Allen said, gritty mental toughness. I mean, how would you describe that win? Yeah, I think I think Dennis hit it uh, perfectly. It was it was gritty. Um, there's a mental toughness about a game like that, particularly when you get down early, because human nature under those conditions would say, "Man, you get behind, it's going to be tough to catch up. Uh, let's just get through this." And and uh, to the credit of our our players, um, they didn't do that. They they kept fighting and found a way to scratch back into the game, and then ultimately win it and look when they say it's cold it it doesn't even begin to describe how it felt um mike you you were there with us the day before on friday which was granted a little colder and a little windier i walked outside i got about 15 steps and then i said there's no way because it wasn't that i was cold it, it was painful it it actually hurt to be outside uh, it's hard to describe until you've been in those kind of conditions. It is, uh, and that's where I'm in the press box. I'm dumping. You know, we're, we're pampered. I was in the press box. We had the window open, but I would keep water behind me, and I would I kept it in front of me. And by the second quarter, it was ice. It was icy. I mean, you just can't imagine. So that was really where I was heading because the Saints had to go up Thursday to to get there, and I was like, we got there Thursday night, and but then by Friday. That was the worst whiteout, blizzard, snow, wind. What if Friday's weather had been Saturday? Were there are yeah. there contingencies out there from the NFL? I mean, you could. I don't. I don't think you could have played. Yeah, uh, listen, I I had some of those same thoughts on Friday when I walked outside. I thought, man, this this potentially could be dangerous. And and yet, uh, look, you know. We were out there in the street, and there was no protection from the wind. You know, when you're in the stadium, um, there's a little protection from the wind, although, you know, if you're down the field, you don't feel like there's any protection. But um, it warmed up just enough, and, and look, our guys did a great job of getting through it. Um, geez, we had a couple guys on the field pregame that were just in shorts, no shirt, no no sweatpants on, and I'm like, holy cow, these guys are tougher than me. <laughs> Uh, and really the ability in the last couple of games to finish it off, right? To get, you know, it doesn't always have to go to the final play, but the ability to finish off games and, and, and walk off Atlanta and walk off Cleveland, the field, with, with victories. Yeah, that's it's, uh, look, it's been the tale of our season. Um, there's been a number of times we've had opportunities to win and, and man, man one play toward the end of the game makes all the difference in the world. And, and uh, you know, we've come up short a number of times, but 
it's good to see it's good to see our guys making plays at the end of these last two games to to win them. And and that's kind of what Dennis has talked about. And yourself, it's like it's who's going to be that guy who we need. You know, somebody towards that end, and you guys went through a lot of people defensively. Uh, Daniel Sorensen had had nine snaps prior to the Cleveland game. He has 41 uh, because of injury uh, on Saturday. Comes up with a huge interception. Carl Granderson. I mean, you know, people are going to talk about the Granderson sack to end the game, but he had three tackles for a loss and two quarterback hits. I mean, he spent much of the day in the back in the backfield. So it's it's the, it's that it's the Sorensons and the Grandersons, you know, stepping up to make big plays at the end. Yeah, absolutely. You know, Carl, you're right. Carl's uh, uh, the notoriety comes from the last play of the game, but he he played probably the best game of his career uh, here with the Saints and and. Uh, I don't know if it's a coincidence, coincidence or not that he played at Wyoming and was used to cold weather conditions, and then he goes out and uh, and has a game of his life um, in this game. And, and Carl's been playing well. He's he's one of those players we haven't talked a lot about, but he's uh, progressed from year one to year two, year three, and and it's it's, um, it's really gratifying to see that because he's a he's a he's a great kid. He's a hard worker, and. Uh, wants to be good, and, and it was good to see him have success on the field and, and get some notoriety. Going to get to offense in a sec, but one more on defense, and I just, I, going into that game, because of, you know, Nick Chubb and some of their, their players, you just felt like tackling was going to be so key, and that and Tyron Matthew, for a kid that's 5'9", 190, stood in there with the best of them and, and took every hit and had 11 tackles, six solo, Man, it just showed up huge. Yeah, and look, I think Tyron's another guy that's played well this year, and 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 because of our record, hasn't probably got as much recognition as he has in the past. And yeah, uh, you know, look, we know this. Everyone knows how tough he is, and and he's a playmaker, and he's continued to do that. I'm glad he's uh, I'm glad he's with us. Alvin Kamara, here's another, here's another one. He's because maybe we're just spoiled, right? We've had five years, and he's just he does everything always. But he had 76 yards rushing, 20 carries, uh, two receptions, so 110 all-purpose yards. But his best two games of the season, as far as yak yards after catch, have come in the last two weeks. 56 yards after the after contact against Atlanta, then 53 yards after contact with Cleveland. It's a, it's a quiet, you know, Alvin, you're based on Alvin's stats, but those, those yards after contact the last two weeks have been huge. Yeah, I think particularly in a game um, like Sunday when the weather conditions are tough and every yard's tough, it's going to be, um, you know, it's going to be a grit game. And, and you know, Alvin Alvin has a lot of grit. He really does. And, and he's a tough tackle. And, and I thought uh, he and Taysom um, and David Johnson all ran hard. Um, and look, that's a game where the defense is expecting the run. They're defending the run, um, just as we were. And yet, um, you know, th- those are tough yards to come by. And, and those guys did a great job. We had 152 rushing yards, and, and uh, every one of them was a tough yard to get. Well, you pretty much have always known that you're going to have to do this on your own, meaning, you know, win your final four. But it just, you know, it doesn't it doesn't look or feel like there's a ton of help out there. Arizona could have helped on Christmas night and and didn't. Philly really could have helped in a way because they could have clinched with a victory at Dallas, but but didn't. So now you go to Philly this weekend. And it's weird because 
I mean, it's going to be like in the 50s or 60s, but now, you know, possibly rain, even thunderstorms. Uh, but, you know, Philly on the road at this time of year is just such an important game for you. But every, they all are. But you just have to live in your world, right? Take care of your stuff. Yeah, listen, we just have to um, go up there. We've, You know, it seems like we play Philly in Philly a lot over the years. Um, so we're used to the environment. Uh, they've got a, you know, they're having a great season. They've got a really good team, and and we're gonna have to play our best game of the year in order to come away with a victory. And we look, we just need to, uh, we just need to find out a way to do that. And this, and there's something that you and I talk about every week, and it, it's just kind of, it stuck out, and that is Philadelphia has been so dominant uh, from a turnover differential. They at one point they were like plus 15 or plus 14, and the Saints were like minus 14, and there were like 28 difference of turnovers. But here they are, they're 13-1, and one. they go to Dallas, and they have four turnovers. They lose the turnover differential battle by three, and they lose the game. I mean, it's, I don't care how good you are or what, you know, or what your record is, that stat sticks out. Yeah, um, look, if, you know, if you're a good team, you can overcome you know, a differential of one and maybe two sometimes. But when you, when you turn the ball over four times, that's, that's, uh, it's pretty difficult to overcome that uh, for any team, regardless of how talented they may be our next two guests on the show coming up it's interesting uh, kai harley uh you know they, he's called the cap guru roster management and also john baumgartner the equipment uh manager for your team i think if there's and i've been around this franchise for 30 plus years if there's two jobs that i would not like and i'd love the, i love the organization but the only two jobs i wouldn't want on this team would be john baumgartner as the equipment manager and the cap guru uh those those two you know what i mean i mean they're tough jobs uh with a lot of people depending on you but they come up big all the time yeah look those, those two guys are uh and certainly i'm biased i think they're as good as anyone in the league at their jobs and and uh and they're really selfless people. Um, you know, they put the team ahead of themselves. And, and uh, you know, Kai has, has, has been with me now for, um, ah, gosh. It's his, it's his 15th, 15th year with the Saints, 22nd in the NFL. Okay. There you go, 15 years with us. And, and uh, doesn't get as much credit as he deserves. He's a really super smart guy, you know, when, 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 uh, most of the time he's the smartest guy in the room, which is a good thing to be and, uh, does a great job for us. And, and look, he's much more than just the cap guy. He, he runs a lot of the administration. Um, he has a lot of input into the football operation here and, and, uh, man, we're lucky to have him. Um, you know, bum, he's been around, uh, for a long time. He was the assistant to chief for a number of years and, He's just a tireless worker. Um, it's an area that, that I appreciate because, look, Bum pretty much manages himself. Um, there's never any problems or issues with his department. He handles it well. And particularly in a game like we just had when you've got the elements and, and uh, conditions that we're not used to be playing in, that's a whole different set of problems and uh, equipment and facilities that he has to deal with, and he does it uh, pretty seamlessly. Well, it was a big win. Uh, congratulations. Hope that your your Christmas was nice and with the day off, and we'll spend New Year's uh, in Philly and, and start off hopefully 2023 with a big W. So thanks for your time as always. Absolutely, Mike. Take care. As I said, when we come back on the Saints Hour, we will talk to the man with all the numbers all the time, 
Kai Harley, Vice President of Football Administration on the Community Coffee, New Orleans Saints Radio Network. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Welcome back to the Saints Hour, Mike Hoss. Now we are joined with Kai Harley, the Vice President of Football Administration, 15 years with the Saints, 22 years in the league He's, they call him the cap guru, but as Mickey just said earlier, I mean, it's a, a whole lot more strategy, planning, management, salary cap, roster management. And, and what at least I have learned, uh, Kai, just as the, in the play-by-play job, that there's so much more during the season with your job. And maybe that's because of all the injuries and, and the craziness. But we think of the salary cap after the season and trying to get under it you know, before the start of the season. But when you look at the Saints – and what you have to kind of go through with the injuries and each and every week, it's 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 never ending, right? I mean, it's it's as much seasonal as it is off season. Yeah, I mean, I, I would agree with you that you know your your workflow changes during different parts of the season, and what you're most busy with changes, uh, you know, based on the month of the year uh, and, and where the calendar stands. But you're always going to be busy with something. Um, and there's always a connection or a cost to the things that you do. So you're always keeping an eye out for the present and the future simultaneously. Can you talk about what is the impact of, of injuries? Uh, because if that player doesn't go on IR, uh, they're still on the active, they're still getting paid, but you got to bring somebody up from the practice squad. And, and then if you, when you do that and, may, and activate them to the 53 on, on Sunday or Saturday, really, uh, I mean, it's, that's, that, that's the, the moving of the money and who gets, you know, uh, that, that's where it gets really tight, right? Yeah, I mean, from purely from a, a salary cap perspective, not from a, you know, uh, player management, uh, roster management perspective, but from a salary cap perspective, each one of these moves, like you have a bank of money, just like everybody has a bank account and you got bills and okay, how do you manage these bills? And well, all of a sudden the player goes down, well, you still got that bill, right? And now you need somebody on the roster for that weekend's game. There's going to be a cost to that. So now you have to spend more and yet you still can only have your, you know, 55 guys. If you have two activations, two practice squad activations for that week, you still only have 55 and you still only got 48 to play. So, um, you you know, you're adding, so a a practice squad guy uh, who is making, you know, 11,500 a week, now all of a sudden you're activating him and depending on his years of service, um, you know, he could be making anywhere from uh, 36,000, 39,000 a week to, you know, 62,000 for that week. So that's just expanded your, your cost for that week and, Obviously, at the beginning of the year, you're going to budget a, a certain amount to account for that. Um, and, and yet, things happen during a season, and sometimes you have more injuries than you expected, and sometimes you have less. But but this year, because I'm I'm the guy, I'm because of the the number of moves that happen, and you know, because it changes my board. I, I I wait for that Saturday email of roster changes and you know activations because I it was one game earlier this year. There were like seven 
roster moves on Saturday. That included PSEs, and that's and so it's been it's been busier in that realm because of injuries this year, right? Because I I see the other teams, the other teams don't have five roster moves, and they don't even use both practice squad. They don't even use both practice squad elevations all the time. I mean, it's been busier this year, right? Uh, certainly it's been busier than we would have hoped. Yeah. Uh, and, and yet it's been a little bit different than the last couple of years where you know, we've had a little bit more roster flexibility with COVID elevations and so forth, um, you know, which COVID presented its own, you know, uh, uh, own issues that you had to navigate. Um, you know, but now whenever you're making these decisions, you're keeping into account, well, you know, how long is the injured player going to be down for? Right. So is the injured player going to be down for a week? Is he going to be down for eight weeks? Like all of that, you know, factors into the decision of whether or not you're going to put the player on injured reserve or whether you're going to keep them on the active, which all has a consequence to it. You know, so you're trying to balance that out. So there'll be some weeks where, yeah, you're going to put a couple of guys down on IR, you're going to sign a couple of guys to the active, and you're still going to have a practice squad elevation. And then there'll be other weeks where, it's just going to be one or two practice squad uh, elevations. So it's going to change from week to week. But at the end of the day, you're focused on who are the players that give us the best opportunity to win that Sunday. And it feels like, it's not all, if, if, I can try to get two questions in here. Now, it feels like that some of the COVID uh, rules that they've impl- implemented for COVID, they, they like and they, they, they might be, you know, tinkering here or there but I mean to me the 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 expanded practice squad makes so much sense where you get to kind of farm your own people as opposed to you know uh, you know having having a smaller practice squad yeah certainly the the COVID rules of uh, expanded practice squad and the IR returns uh, are, are something that are, are beneficial um, you know they, they've been elements that we've argued for as a club for a number of years. And I guess it took COVID for people to see it our way, <laughs> but, um, you know, but certainly that provides us a lot more flexibility. And, and yet it's still a little bit, the, the, the rules have changed somewhat from COVID and that um, when you look at your IR to returns or you look at the number of elevations, um, the numbers have changed from COVID to now. Um, but yet the, the element of how you get there has remained the same, and that provides us a lot more flexibility, which I think is, is good for us and good for the fans and good for everybody. Yeah, when you're, and speaking of the injured reserve return, it feels like, this is just my, and I've talked to Mickey about this before, but it feels like the decision of the NFL to go from three weeks, you could come back in three weeks to four weeks, man, that, and, but you can only have eight activations like you know throughout that year so they limit the activations but they increased the amount of time you had to stay on IR from three to four and for whatever reason and I may be way off it just feels like they hit a sweet spot there meaning like wow that's tough you know three was easy four ah, it's just it just feels like it's not not just the Saints but for a lot of teams making that decision do we put them on IR do we not put them on IR yeah I mean look if there was an over and under that's that's probably it right on the spot yeah. and yet um, I, I, I agree with you is it, it puts a lot more strategy to the decision, right? Uh, there's a lot more to consider when making that decision. Um, you know, COVID years, we've got three games, you're out, uh, you got a normal hamstring that might be two weeks, might be three. Then, you know, you're, you're, when you're looking at that weekend's game, you're probably going to err on the side of putting them down, but you know, you can get them back quicker 
and you know that you have unlimited guys to return, which we had during COVID. So now when you restrict the numbers of how many guys can return from IR and you expand uh, that, that number of games that a player is out for, uh, you really have to make sure that that's the decision that you want because you don't want to put a guy down if you think he can help you win in the short term. We need to step aside and take a break. More with Vice President of Football Administration, Kai Harley. This is the Saints Hour on the Community Coffee New Orleans Saints Radio Network. You are listening to the Saints Hour. Mike Hoss along with Kai Harley, the Vice President of Football Administration. And so as you look, and these are, you know, anticipated, who knows, but they're talking about possibly maybe 2023, looking at the cap being like maybe $220 million. I know we, we don't know that yet. Uh, this team has, you know, you almost become kind of, you know, um, you know, more got a lot of notoriety in the last couple of years because of the amazing work of getting this team way from over the cap to under the cap. Eventually, does that catch up a little bit? Um, yeah, I mean, look, every decision you make has a consequence. So, um, you know, obviously, nobody anticipated COVID and anticipated the cap going down 16 million, but it did. So. Look, we'll, you know, we'll, everybody's projecting this to be around 220, which I would say, looking at past history, is more of an average increase. You would say, you know, we've averaged 10 to 11 million dollars per year uh, in terms of the jump in the cap. So, you know, 220 isn't, you know, a, it, it, it's good. It's better than less than that, but it's not this grand expansion um, that some people may may think it is. Um, but every little bit counts. Um, and, and yet, when you look at the overall life cycle um, of your team, you know you're always looking at who's coming up for extension and what are those extensions going to cost, and um, you know who's coming up in the draft, who's coming up in free agency, and how are we going to field the best team, and what are our resources to to do so. So, um, you know, we've always been you know aggressive in our pursuit of, of, of talent and aggressive in trying to, to keep the talent that we have. Let's talk about dead cap a little bit, and that's the amount that would remain with the team should a player be traded or released or just walk away, right? I mean, you don't, you don't have to be traded or released. I mean, you, you could walk away, but the team still hit with that dead cap money, right? Yeah, there'll, there'll be dead cap based on whatever signing bonus proration that right. you have still out there for the player. Um, you know, or some people will include that dead cap in terms of money that the player counted that particular uh, regular season before he went out, but... Um, primarily speaking, most people look at it as just signed bonus proration that's left out there. Is that frustrating? Is that part of the frustrating part of this? Is that you're dealing with, you know, not just players on your roster, but players that, that were on the roster? Yeah, I mean, look, that's part of the calculus. Right. Um, you know, that, that goes in, and, and yeah, you, you hope that you can minimize that, that number to the best of your ability, um, you know, but at the same time, there's, there's a cost to your success. Right, and if you said, "Hey, I, I, I," it, it's going to be a little painful in terms of dead cap, but yet you can guarantee that you had a competitive roster for an extended period of time. I think most people would take that proposition. Yeah, it's, a, it's I mean, it's a win now mentality across the league. It's not, it's not not just the Saints. So, when you were working for the NFL, I read this, and I'm just curious. It was you were looking at that time, kind of at all 32 teams, and there was a a day when you're talking, talking about cap, and I guess a daily and a yearly. Reconciliation, daily. There's a daily reconciliation of the cap across the league. Yeah, yeah. I mean, look, there's a daily reconciliation of our own cap. You know, like each individual team 
you know, whatever transactions you make, there's a cap effect, right? So you sign a guy, you release a guy, a guy goes on IR, uh, whatever the case may be, there's a salary cap effect. So when I'm working for the league, I have to do that for every transaction that comes in and reconcile their cap for that day. That was part of my responsibility. So now being at a club, you know, you do it for your team to make sure that you're under and, and, um, and, and, and you're in good operating position moving forward. Can you be over at any point? Technically, no. When, when you look at the league year, there's various points in the year where the evaluation of your team is different. So when the new league year starts, right, you're counting your top 51 paragraph fives on the team, right? You're counting all signing bonus proration, all roster bonus and so forth, but you're only counting your top 51 um, active roster players at the beginning of the league year, right? Now, the reason being is because you have the ability to have 90 players on your roster at that point, right? So as you go through the all season, you go through a training camp before you get the final cuts, you can have 90 players on your roster. So once you get to um, the week before the regular season starts, or you get to that Wednesday before the Thursday night opener, that's when you have full count. Everybody on your roster, their paragraph fives then count against the cap. And one of the other roles, and you've many, that you're working closely with the college personnel, the free agency and the draft, and the signing of free agents. And I thought that was interesting. And I wanted you to get your take because it really was the flexibility there that I was told as to how this team got Rashid Shahid. He wasn't drafted. And so he's out there as a, as a you know, an unrestricted free agent, undrafted free agent. Um, and so you're involved in, you know, there is flexibility there in paying him, you know, maybe more than other teams. And, and that, that, that helped lure him and get him to this team. That was t- Take me through that process a little bit. Okay, I mean, look, I, I'd say as an organization, we take a lot of pride in um, our college staff being able to identify uh, these particular players and our staff in general uh, in being able to get those players to, to come here. And I think we've had a good track record of undrafted players in, in my time here. Uh, that being said, the rules have changed <laughs> during my time here. Um, early on, uh, you would say there was no real cap, per se, on what you could pay the undrafted players, right? It, it counted towards your overall rookie pool, um, but yet if you wanted to give a one particular undrafted player a $200,000 signing bonus, you could. Well, now the rules have changed where you have a allotment that you can pay your undrafted players, and you're limited to your entire undrafted class of approximately $150,000 you know, in, in, in one league year, goes up $5,000, $6,000 a year. Um, and then you are able to guarantee portions of his base salary, um, which you can do that to, to any level that, that you want to, as long as it's not above his minimum salary. So those become the negotiating elements to it. But I would say across the board, it's much more level of a playing field than it was prior to this CBA when you could give a guy any sort of signing bonus um, in that you're convincing the player that you have a vision for him, um, that you have a roster spot for him, and here's where you think his future lies, and the player agreeing with that, and then agreeing with the compensation that, that comes with that. So it's, it's, it's not necessarily a simplistic process, but yet um, I would say that it's more even across the board um, where every team has an opportunity to try and get a guy to 
to come to their team. And finally, and this is, you know, a, you know, kind of broad based, but if you, you know, look, look at sport track and, and what they anticipate that the Saints may be starting 2023, like 70 million over the cap. Again, if these numbers are wrong, I mean, I'm, you know, I'm just taking it for what they are. But you don't, and you don't have a lot of, you know, it's signing bonus, roster bonus, option bonus, workout bonus. From a restructuring standpoint, there's not a lot of, I mean, you've done such a great job the last two years to get this team under, and that will be a similar situation for for 2023, right? Yeah, like I said, it's it's the the, the price of doing business, and um, you know, certainly we we expected our, our record to be a little bit better than than where we're at, but uh, we're still in the hunt. You know, we're still alive, so. Um, anything we can do to, to push that forward and, and break through that ceiling, we're going to try and do. I hope you had a good holiday, and uh, I hope we have a good start to 2023 in Philadelphia. And as always, you appreciate your time. Hey, I appreciate you having me. Happy holidays. Let's pause 10 seconds for stations to identify themselves here on the Community Coffee, New Orleans Saints Radio Network. Coming up, he and his staff got a well-deserved game ball following the Cleveland game and didn't play it down. We will talk with the head equipment manager, John Baumgartner, on the challenges presented by those sub-zero temperatures in Cleveland on the Community Coffee New Orleans Saints Radio Network. Welcome back to the Saints Hour, everyone. Mike Hoss along now with the man of the hour, at least from this past weekend. He's the head equipment manager, John Baumgartner, uh, known as Bum. He followed Chief, so nicknames are very important for this job. Uh, But wow, Uh, when did you find out post Cleveland in the locker room that that you and your staff and that's important there was a staff of 10 you you were one of them you and nine others uh were going to get the game ball and what was that like uh it was great it's great experience you know um coach you know typically calls everyone up after the game you know and he might give a game ball out here and there and kind of make some announcements and everything and that's when he presented us with the game ball uh but it, it was awesome it's nice to be uh recognized you know so what did you tell the team? I saw you walk, kind of walk to to the middle. What did you tell them? <laughs> well, everybody started chanting for me to, to give some kind of a speech, and uh, I'm not the best uh, public speaker, you know, so um, I, I called everybody up, and, you know, I just told everybody, you know, I, I care about everybody, I love them, you know, Merry Christmas, and uh, then we, we did one, two, three, and uh, broke, broke it down on family, so. Perfect. Well, that's, uh, I mean, on behalf of, because it wasn't just the, the the team that you outfitted, and and I've we've talked about this. Steve Geller on the sideline, myself, uh, Robert Carroll, and, and Deuce, of course, and who, by the way, today's Deuce's birthday. Uh, so happy birthday to Deuce! But there's the only thing that Deuce hates more than talking about himself because he's so humble is cold. And the gear <laughs> that you had had for uh, for the for the radio team was uh, uh, it was it was life saving. <laughs> awesome. Very, very important. Um, if I'd have told you when, when you, you're in your 20th season, you're eight as the head equipment manager, that, hey, you know, there's going to be a game that you're going to need wetsuits, what, what would you have said? Um, honestly, we've, uh, we've had wetsuits in our inventory for probably over 10 years now. Um, it was something new, I guess, uh, Back in the day that Tom Brady kind of came up with playing up there in, in, in the New England area, you know, and um, it's it, it's perfect for extreme cold weather. Um, you, you get into temperatures in the 30s and 20s in a wetsuit, you know, it, it, it's too warm for for those temperatures. Uh, you really start to sweat too much. But um, it's just one of many things over the years that um, 
we've had, but you've never really wanted to have to use. I was gonna, you, you, even though you've had them in your inventory for 10 years, this is the first time you've brought them out, huh? We used them in uh, the playoffs against Philadelphia. I was thinking in, that, uh, yeah. 13. Yeah, 20, it was about 24 degrees. And, and they, yep. they, don't, they only give you the temperature. They don't, they don't count the feels like. And I feel, I feel like on the field, that feels like temperature is way more important than, I don't care whatever the gauge is. I want to know what it feels right. like. Right. So, yeah, it was brutal this past weekend. <laughs> yeah, uh, and, and, and especially, and I asked Mickey this, I'm like, because we, got, we went up a day early, so Thursday, so we saw Friday. Had that had that Friday weather been Saturday, I don't know what I mean. You saw it Friday. What that would have been almost unimaginable. Yeah, that would have been pretty pretty miserable for sure. Uh, the wind was really whipping on Friday. Um, I went outside uh, just because it was going to be the coldest I've ever been in. It was twenty eight below, and um, that that cold air immediately hits you right in the lungs and, and takes your breath away. You know, and you can't even open your eyes. So I don't know. Uh, if, how he would have been able to play uh, if, if it would have been those conditions. Right, and it was snowing. It snowed a lot more Friday than it did did Saturday. But you're right. It was, and we, had we not been there, you know, I, quite frankly, we couldn't have gotten in Friday. There's no way you could have could have bought a plane in there. So give me a sense of other gear that you had with you that let's say you wouldn't have had to worry about if you were playing in in, in Tampa, uh, ski masks or. Uh, you know what? what uh, and what, what kind of? I think I read Nick Underhill. You had like sixteen hundred hand warmers and toe and feet warmers. What, what kind of stuff did you bring with you? Yeah. So um, this was what we consider an extreme cold weather game, um, different from just a, a typical cold weather game, and that that calls for like wetsuits. You know, um, we had some custom made uh, heated vests the coaches were that they can stick hot packs all around their body you know and use that as a base layer uh we had some uh heated hoodies to keep their hands uh warm we had glove liners you know sock liners all kinds of thermals multiple thermals everybody pretty much got two of everything that they could layer up with and uh you know we had we had already ordered 1600 hand warmers which i thought was going to be enough to split between uh the cleveland game and the philly game but as we got closer, uh, it was looking more and more like this game was going to be uh, really bad. So we brought all of those plus uh, about 500 more we had left over from the Pittsburgh game or in the season. So uh, roughly over, you know, 2,000 just, just for hand warmers. And then, um, you know, we had about 300 foot and toe warmers. We figured about two for every person, you know. Um, but then just your other stuff, you know, the capes and the sideline jackets and all that. It was just... Uh, pretty much the same stuff we've always brought to a cold weather game. It was just more of it. And that's when you really saw, to me, the capes and those sideline parkers that you kind of look, think back to the 60s and 70s, you know, and there's cold weather. But I noticed them because they were flying all over the place. That's when you really kind of noticed the wind with those big, you know, oversized, uh, you know, parkers and stuff. Oh, yeah, yeah. We had uh... – Pretty much every uh, staff member I had on the sideline was, was helping out with those. We had anybody uh, extra uh, that was available to help. Um, I had talked to them earlier in the week about, hey, look, this one's going to be different than uh, anyone we've ever been in before. You know, I'm going to need all hands on deck, especially with these capes. 
From the cold in Cleveland to possible rain in Philly and the new challenges that presents, more with Saints head equipment manager John Baumgartner when we come back on the Community Coffee, New Orleans Saints Radio Network. We are speaking with the Saints head equipment manager John Baumgartner, also known as Bum, and his dad played for the Saints uh, back in the 70s. And I think what people, when we see pictures of locker rooms, and I've been in them pregame, it is like pristine, everything is beautiful, the numbers hanging up. But what they don't see is after the game, which are just piles of stuff. And you, your team then, it's almost like, you know, rapid fire because you got to get things onto a truck that drives back and things onto a plane. So give me a sense of what, what it was like after the game, I mean, because everybody had way more stuff than normal. Right. So um, we usually try to be somewhat organized and have like designated hampers for like the uniforms and, uh, you know, just loose clothes and maybe jackets and everything. Uh, and we tried to, to go about it that way this past game, but um, it just got to be so chaotic in there with just all the, all the stuff, uh, like you were saying. And we ended up just kind of stuffing things into everywhere we possibly could. Uh, all the dirty laundry we got back on the airplane with us. Anything we didn't need immediately, you know, we put on the ground truck going back to New Orleans. So because of all the stuff, what was more needed, like a, a truck from a truck standpoint? Did you need an extra truck? No, we uh, we sent up our normal 53-foot, um, 18-wheeler, um, and that was, that was pretty full. Uh, and then that was probably about 40,000 pounds, um, total on the trip but 30,000 went on the 18 and about 10,000 on the airplane wow so we get back team gets back christmas eve it's saturday night big huge win over cleveland does do you have to go does your staff have to go to the to the training camp and because all that stuff is you know it's it's kind of needs to go somewhere what, what happens after the plane ride home uh so as soon as we land you know the the plane unloads the trucks bring the equipment over to the facility uh, we unload the trucks, we unpack their, their equipment bags, and uh, sometimes we'll, we'll do the laundry. Uh, in this case, since it was Christmas Eve, uh, we didn't. We all wanted to be home with our families and stuff. Uh, so uh, we, we went home and took care of it on Monday. The, what I thought was going to be a, a bigger issue, maybe I'm, I'm wrong, but I, I really thought the footing was going to be a bigger issue uh, in Cleveland, I'm only saying that because I'm, I'm assuming that you had multiple shoes, multiple size cleats uh, that you had to bring to, to, to kind of prepare because you didn't know what to prepare for. When, when, last Monday, they were like, ah, it's going to be windy, man, maybe some snow flurries. And then Tuesday, they called it a bomb cyclone. So it all happened so fast. But I'm assuming that you, you didn't know. So you had to bring, like from a shoe standpoint and cleat standpoint, bring it all. We did. Uh, we always prepare for everything. Um, we kind of already had a good idea of what kind of uh, cleats we were going to be needing for this game, uh, even before we found out it was going to be really bad conditions. You know, we were going to go with longer spikes anyway on pretty much everybody. But then once we uh, kind of heard it, it could be sub-zero conditions, I started getting concerned about the possibility of a frozen field. Uh, and in that case, uh, you get better traction with like more of a, a rubber sole flat bottom shoe. So uh, earlier in the week, uh, we discussed about bringing uh, a particular flat bottom, uh, like a turf shoe for players um, in case uh, the field was frozen and their, their regular spikes wouldn't give them any traction. 
Am I wrong? I mean, did it, it, whatever shoe you picked was was awesome because it didn't it didn't feel like it was as, as impactful in the game as at least I thought it was going to be. So whatever choice you made, it looked it feel feels like it worked. Right. I thought we had the right shoes on from the get go. Um, we we did put them in longer spikes, like I said, uh, and that was enough to break through that little first layer of frost that was on the field. Like when they took the tarp off, uh, all that condensation under the tarp had frozen. So. Um, it looked like a frozen field, but those cleats were long enough where they could they could dig in. But I thought the footing was uh, was good. So now you go to Philly on January first, which initially you, you're thinking, well, this is going to be the cold weather game. But they're talking about maybe 50s and 60s and really rain, maybe a thunderstorm or something. So what, let's just talk. Let's say it does rain and it's it's heavy rain either before or during uh, the game. What does that entail? from an equipment standpoint because i would assume you know totally different than what you just had to do for cleveland yeah rain is probably our um worst nightmare cold rain is really our worst nightmare but um rain just isn't good at all it's you just got to bring so much extra stuff because you know guys are going to want to keep dry they want to dry pair of gloves dry pair of shoes you know everything like that um we really haven't had a rain game this year um but we're prepared for it you know uh got all the rain gear um we got the rain gloves we prepared to go longer spikes if we need to you know got the extra shoes we got everything we need so i assume you 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 watching the weather as much as anybody uh this week right oh yeah i'm always about two weeks out three weeks out i'm always keeping an eye on you know what we got coming up uh because you can't just uh start preparing for a game the week of you know we got to be two three weeks ahead sometimes on games you know like the cleveland game for instance we uh we started working on that uh immediately after pittsburgh you know because we knew that was going to be our next cold weather game so uh, i'm always i'm always keeping an eye on the radar for sure well congratulations first off to you and your staff i mean it's a, you know for for pulling off uh really what what was uh impossible things to do for for cleveland and to, and to get that game ball uh continued success thanks to, from wbl radio as well and uh, just keep going and good luck hopefully it won't rain in philly but uh, continued success fingers crossed no rain thanks That's right. mike all right thanks bob well the saints can only do their part and keep winning and hopefully get some help along the way philadelphia first then back home for carolina and we will see you next year Tuesday, January 3rd, 2023, for the Saints Hour. My thanks to Charlie Long, producing back in the booth. My thanks to Charlie Long, producing in the booth. Thanks for listening here on the Community Coffee, New Orleans Saints Radio Network. Good night. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.